I'm Greg Dollar Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. I'm a storyteller, baby, telling my stories for you. I've gone to school to hone my craft. I've put through every single draft of written words and notes I never wish I wrote. Received some compliments, but then I've been turned down since God knows when. It's like I'm floating up Shit's Creek without a boat. I'm not a rebel or a saint, I'm just an artist trying to paint. So I sincerely hope you like my point of view. Cause I will be a big success with. Nothing more and nothing less than just some time to tell my stories for you. Jeremy Schoenfeld's powerful storytelling voice, both vocal and written, reveals the heart of a man on a journey, vulnerably seeking to understand himself, his family and friends and his community through his music. In fact, it is this commitment to building and strengthening community that drives him forward with every project. When his voice first landed in my ear and subsequently into my streaming playlists, I was drawn by his unique sound, flexibly leaning from soulful pop to hard-edged rock, gospel, blues, and even musical theater was not surprised to discover that his sound has drawn in comparisons to Billy Joel and Jonathan Larson in the New York Times. Honoring the release of this episode on Father's Day, our conversation explored one of the central themes that play through much of Jeremy's music, that of fatherhood. But before we got there, I was curious about what fueled him as a storyteller. So thanks so much for joining me. Um, as I said, when we first spoke, I, I kind of feel like I met you years ago when uh, when through one of the, the positive experiences of music streaming algorithmic mysteries, uh, I happened upon 37 Notebooks and then Drift. 
and then iron and coal and so on and so on. And I, I completely fell down that Schoenfeld rabbit hole. Um, and I've had you in the mix of, of my personal playlist pretty much ever since. Um, there's, a, there's a warmth in your vocal instrument, in your voice, your singing voice that just, it's just resound and, uh, in me and it just, it's felt comfortable. But I think it was the theatricality of your storytelling you know, your ability to create characters that arrive in, in lyric form, fully dimensional, um, in their diverse range of emotional lived experiences and set against a deeply human landscape that has held me. I find myself going back to your music to visit those people and places. <clears throat> and that for me is where the magic seems to reside. So I'd love to just jump in with, uh, with my curiosity about when you first discovered that you were here to tell stories. Well, first of all, that's very that's very kind as a as an intro to my work, and I appreciate that. Um, I uh, I think well, the the my mother says that when we got the piano uh, at the house, I was uh, four. That I immediately was drawn to it, and I immediately started writing. Um, and um, so I, that was that was the story. And I and for a very long time, I could remember pretty much every single thing I wrote. Um, you know, obviously, as I, as you get older, you lose some of that, and as the brain gets more and more crowded. So, um, but uh, I, um, I, it was always there. There was always a part of me that wanted to, um, to, to write, to create. First, it was sound. It was music first for me. Um, you know, I wasn't really stringing a lot of sentences together until right around, I think, maybe ten or eleven is when I first started to put down words. Um, words that made some sense, um, but uh, but I started telling stories. Um, I started telling stories in my early teens, and then when I was in high school, uh, the high school that I attended in St. Louis had a, a strong theater uh, program, and one of the things they had was a uh, an original musical slot or some type of a show, which usually was kind of like some humorous take on something it was never very serious but um there are a couple of kids a couple of the older kids had this idea that um we should try to create something original and they knew that me as a songwriter and and someone who was already beginning to uh, tell stories uh that that would be something that they wanted to tap me for so i ended up doing uh, i wrote a couple of musicals in high school mm. and um not 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 really again for because I had all this grand love of all things musical theater, but because I had this, um, I had this passion for telling stories through music, which I think is a distinct difference. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, I guess it, it, I, I can't, I, I couldn't put my finger on the exact moment, mm. but I will say that um, I think it became very obvious very quickly that that's part of, that's always been part of my makeup. If I go back through time and through, you know, my teenage and her, you know early twenties and uh, and so on. Um, that's kind of been a bread and butter thing for me. Getting diving into characters and diving into stories and trying to be as detailed and specific as I can, and telling those stories, um, whether they were, and uh, whether they were personal to my story or whether they were something that was personal to the story itself that needed to be told. Um, uh, it was the same challenge, trying to be as you know as specific and detailed and and emotionally on point as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting as I 
as I hear you say that you're, you're, you've referenced as I got older, things shifted and adjusted. I'm curious from this vantage point right here where you sit, how has your songwriting matured into adulthood? So that's a good question. You know, I've gone through various stages and as I'm sure many artists and many writers have um, many, uh, many stages of storytelling. Uh, one uh, important one that happened in the more recent years. Um, actually, I was reminded uh, through a friend that yesterday was the day five years ago that we purchased the house that I am now talking to mm. you from here in Beacon, New York. Um, moving out of New York City after 27 years of city living and working and all the things that you, the up and downs that you go through. Um, part of that for me personally was the idea that I could free myself up a bit mm. um, creatively and uh, allow myself to just tell stories that came to me that I felt like I needed to tell without having to, um, without this competitive thing that happens when you're in the city, without waiting uh, for the commissions or, or the deadlines, et cetera, to just try to become a writer who did it the way that I did when I was much younger, which was just for the love of doing it. Um, and uh, I find that uh, in a, a couple of things occurred occur that, I, that I understood to be important for me. One was that I, I can do that. I can just be a writer um, and I can tell stories uh, and, and I have found that um, some of the stories that I wanna tell are stories that I've actually probably been uh, circling around for years, um, identifying that I'm that kind of a writer, the kind of writer that will, even if I don't know exactly what the, bull, the, the bullseye is that I'm aiming for, will find at some point that I've been circling around that same target for a long time with the same kinds of subjects as I have with the most recent project I'm in. Um, so that was part of it. Um, and then the other part was um, when I leaving leaving the world of theater, and I mean musical theater, um, which is something I, um, I, I, I felt very attached to because I felt like that was a place for me to be able to tell stories. But leaving sort of that box uh, really kind of opened up my process a little bit more. I think that that's where I've been, I think that's where I've been heading is to just, is, is to know that it's okay to tell my stories and it's okay to tell them the way that I want them to be yeah. told. Um, I had to give myself some permissions on that. And what's lovely is that image you, you brought in of circling around, but also circling back because, you know, you're, I, I'm hearing you say that I, I'm able to do what I'm now able to do because of where I'm at in my life, but also it's nice to meet the freedom, not necessarily the child that I once was, but the freedom of the creative experience that I remember or that has a resonance from my childhood. Is that fair? It's, it is. And, and, you know, look, it's not, not for nothing. I mean, you get to a certain point in your life and your career and you, uh, you really have to question why you are doing the things that you are doing. And, um, and if you find that um, the wrong reasons are why you've been uh, at something for so long, then you hopefully you find ways to start making some corrections. Uh, passion does have to, to to play a big part in it, um, and um, and and yes, uh, to your point about the telling stories that you um, 
you know, that you circle around. Um, there are, that, that is something that I, I discovered. Um, and I don't think I even really realized that that was the type of writer I was, but it, it even goes back as far as Drift. Drift had songs. I wrote that. That's a, about my um, divorce and, and child custody and being a single father and entering into that kind of unknown world of single, single parenthood. Um, you know, that was when I was, uh, that album was when I was 30. Um, but I had been writing songs that ended up on that album and ended up in that project, you know, because there's the album drift, but the project drift actually has at least twice as many songs. Wow. I found that I had been writing about my, the demise of my relationship, my marriage, um, for years leading up to the actual end, and that there were things that I could identify that I, you know, that ended up being within like like five or six year range songs that kind of ended up being uh, part of the project. So that's just that just becomes part of how I I, I create photos, I guess. Yeah. So the more I felt I, comfortable in that process, the more I'm like, okay, where am I heading now? Let's just you know give yourself the time to to find that direction, and eventually it will make itself known to you what you're doing and why you're doing it. And until then, you know, you can go through all the ups and downs that all the artists go through. Yeah. You know. Again, you and I spoke previously about my own caution with leaning into the, the curiosity around how much autobiography lives in the lyrical span. And, and you, you've just spoken to the fact that, uh, that the exploration of your own personal stories, your own personal experiences are within the music. I'm fascinated just to know a little bit from your perspective, where does Jeremy live within those stories when they're published and out there in the world? Are you, do you know? And, and how has that grow in you how has that supported your own personal maturation as as, as a human being that's uh that's 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 good deep stuff um i think that there's there's a few different answers here right um one is that uh when you're writing something i should just say when i'm writing something uh, i don't want to speak for any other writer um i I have to find my way in to any song that I write. I have to find something emotionally pulling that will give me a little bit of that emotional honesty. Um, you know, I know when I've manufactured something. I know when I've put a bunch of filler in there. And I think that any writer who's been doing it for a long time probably can attest to that, you know? And, there, and, and you kind of also know, uh, you know, you have your own uh, kind of, uh, you have your own tools that you bring to each song and you have your own way of looking at things and thinking if you've gone far enough and if you've said enough and if you've been specific enough. It's a big word for me, specificity. Mm. Um, uh, that being said, um, there are also songs that you write um, where, uh, where, you know, where I'm looking at something or if I'm looking at it in the span of several songs, but even specifically in one song, even if that's a very personal detail that I feel is very important, but for some reason doesn't work in the song, in the context of the piece, um, or in the context of several pieces that tie together. Um, uh, as a writer, uh, it's uh, incredibly important that I'm also willing to murder my darlings and, and, mm -hmm. and get rid of certain things that just don't work. It just has to work. So 
there's a tremendous amount of personal experience that goes into my work. Um, I know that once I have created that work and put it out into the world, as I know that you and I discussed in our previous conversation, um, if I've done my job as a writer well, uh, then you as the listener uh, accept the piece and, and it becomes emotionally uh, compelling for you, not because of my story, but because it relates to and touches something universal within your own uh, experiences and your own story. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can't, that I can't manufacture. I just have to be honest. And if I'm being honest and if my story has that kind of effect, terrific. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's a wonderful thing. Um, I hope that what I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm telling these stories, there are things that other people can relate to. Um, but um, the, the, the more broad and generic I am with that, the less you know, compelling it will be. So well, and I think that specificity that you talked about, I mean, that's the key to universal anything. I mean, if, if, if it's true to you, then it, it has the possibility it will be true to others in their context and in their if I look in, 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 into, uh, as you know, we're zooming via vi video here, and if I looked and I said, um, the chair behind you, you, uh, you uh, uh, the listener sees a chair, but they don't see any specific chair. If I say, you know, the comfy purple chair with the big cushions and the, and the you know, and the sort of curved arms, you start, and the purple hue, and, you know, you start to see things much more specifically. And I think that's the job of the lyricist. And it's the job of the composer too. I think that there are songs, you know, I, when people ask me things like, oh, what do you, what kind of stuff do you write? Or what do you, what do you do? I say, well, you know, it depends on the story. The mm. story dictates for me the, um, you know, the genre the, um, that I'm going to be living in. And that can be um, one that's in for one specific song or it can be for an entire cycle of songs or a show of things. Um, but the, the story will, tell me where I need to go. And, you know, musically speaking, that will be the, that will be the first thing I'm probably drawn to is hearing something, hearing, you know, rhythm, tone, um, whatever it is, I'll sit down at the piano and I'll, I'll knock some things around. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, I don't know, I think that just being, um, being open to, uh, being open to finding these stories and being open to uh, create whatever needs to be created and being always willing to reach just beyond your grasp as a writer. I mean, I, I, just, I, I just think that um, there are things that I can always do. I know I can always, I can always grab this or that. As I said, it's the tools of the tool belt. It's yep. that Nashville kind of thing. It's like, I can go, I can be a gunslinger if I need to be. Um, but um, uh, but as an artist, I, I, I hope always for a challenge to do something that is not entirely, you know, uh, comfortable for me, both emotionally speaking, but even just from uh, in the mechanics of it, mm -hmm. uh, um, of reaching a little bit into things that I haven't done. And so I can add that to my, you know, the whole, uh, the whole mess of experiences that, that make up my legacy, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. And, and this latest project, you just mentioned a film called The Father Who Stayed. As I understand it, it's built around your latest five-song EP of the same title. But 
and it's not the first time um, that you've written music and then had it feature in a, a, sort of as a narrative soundtrack in a film or theater production or a, a cabaret or concert. What 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 has kept you navigating um, so comfortably across the borders of different disciplines? Well, that's a, that's a, that's another good question. I think that um, the idea of putting uh, definitions and boxes and very specific kinds of um, uh, categories around things. Um, from, for, from an artist, from an artistic standpoint, it's, um, it can be a problem. And I think that problem is um, that I have to somehow approach a story that I want to tell and then be able to define what that story is and how it needs to be told and define it to a listener even before it's told. Um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, I think for me, I would rather find the story first, figure out what it is that I want to say, and then, you know, and then let that story uh, help to kind of dictate, the, you know, what it's going to be. I, like, for instance, okay, the, the thing that you, uh, the story that you just mentioned, The Father Who Stayed, um, is, uh, you know, is based on a true story of a friend who, um, who lost his daughter. And... Um, and he actually, he and I began speaking about doing something when he came to Iron and Coal, when I did the New York premiere of it, sadly, just before COVID um, uh, you know, fell upon us in January of 2020. Uh, my, my initial instinct was I have no idea how to approach this particular specific subject matter because it's actually about a real living person who I know um, who is in a lot of pain because they've, in, lost their child who I also yeah. um so I I you know I didn't I, first of all I, you have to give it time to settle in and when I started to look at songs as I had mentioned earlier with you know that I had that there were song I, I was dealing with things that had to do with life and death in America already and I kind of started to marry a few ideas I let that <coughs> pardon me I let that marinate and the idea of making um, making a film uh, was not the first idea. That was not the first. That certainly was not the first thing we did. We worked on it the um, the theater company one year lease, which um, my wife was a founding member of, uh, and uh, all very close friends of ours uh, commissioned me to create this as a theatrical, you know, concept piece, and. And they also helped pay for the um, five song EP that helped to define what that is. Um, as I was working on that piece, I realized that uh, I had, and I'd always had a great passion for the idea of telling a cinematic story. I, and that, uh, the, long, the longer I worked on it, the more I felt drawn to that. So that's where, that's where I went. And a lot of people thought I was, you know, kind of crazy to try to do something <laughs> like this. And, you know, but the fact is we just wrapped filming on it. So um, uh, maybe it'll be crazy. I have, I have to edit it and go through that whole process of everything. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's, I've, I've made something. And that's important. I think a lot of people um, don't make things, don't create things, because the first thing they do is come up with all the reasons why they can't, why they shouldn't, why they won't. And you know that self-defeating thing, 
which can be sneaky. It's a lot easier to think about it, you know, from my, you know, from someone else's perspective, looking at what other people are doing. But, but I think most of us have that tendency um, to, to say no first. And I, um, and I just, maybe that's an age thing too. I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to just have to start saying yes as much as I possibly can mm -hmm. to things that need to get done. And it, it's, it sounds like the yes came and perhaps has on other projects as yes, I will take that in and let that steep. Yeah. You know, I start, I, I went through that process and it's, it's, it, it's funny because, you know, I, big projects like the Father who Stayed, Iron and Cold Drift, um, you know, those are projects that take a much longer period of time because of that sitting and because of that, you know, um, letting letting things kind of happen as they will um but they were also um all three of them are very deeply personal in that way leading back to what you were saying earlier and i think that that becomes sort of a defining thing for me and i feel um you know iron and coal uh for example was um was first an album that had to do with my relationship with my father and his relationship with his, but um, my father being uh, uh, an Auschwitz survivor, uh, a concentration camp survivor, and so there were a lot of things. There, there were there were many many years where I felt like I wanted to say something. Um, I just wasn't ready to say it. Mm. And now that one, I had a ticking clock because my father got sick and kind of mentioned that he was going on some double blind medical study for a new medicine and for a doctor who regularly administered those kinds of things uh his children we, uh, we we understood that that really meant that there was a ticking clock because there was no other you know possible solution other than this potential life-saving um new drug uh, and, um, so i got very i got very serious about the work um but you know again it was it, for me it was it was emotionally risky it was um it was going into uh, an area, um, you know, psychologically, musically, very much so, uh, areas that I wasn't, um, that, that I hadn't spent as much time in. Very, there's a lot of very classical orchestral work in there. And, um, but I let the story kind of lead me where it needed to go. And um, the more I opened myself up to those possibilities and, and the less I tried to define what it was supposed to be, leading kind of back to what you were, your point earlier, um, the more that process was able to um, just grow into what it became and what it is now, which is this you know, kind of this huge concert event, more or less, that involves animation and multimedia. And, and um, uh, but yet, even with the 230 people that we had on stage at the Strathmore in 2018, it was, uh, uh, it was still incredibly deeply personal and raw yeah. and, um, and that's i guess for me that's something that i've never um i've never been afraid of is is kind of going into those places and putting those kinds of you know um those kinds of raw emotions into my work um, so yeah and to go back to to my my opening introduction i think that that's a word i didn't choose to use but it certainly could have been uh, that that there is a willingness an incredible vulnerability and a willingness to to see the cracks and the fissures in our lives and 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 not patch them up or or polish them over not pour acid into them 
but actually open them enough to be able to to peer in and to to have a look. I think that as a I think that as a um, as a writer, you um, it sounds cliche, but you really have to find your voice, and um, and that is a lot harder than a lot of people think, um, because that voice. You know, when I perform one of my songs, I'm very, very, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that, um, that so many people sing my songs. And in this particular movie, I have a ton of people singing my work. And um, some of them are singers first, some of them are actors first, some of them are musicians who happen to sing a little bit. I didn't go, I wasn't looking for like just, you know, the big uh, superstar five octave range kind of thing. Um, it was storytelling. Um, but um, I, I felt like, uh, I feel like, when I tell my stories, I have a, I have a cadence, I have a, a delivery, um, I have a language I speak in my lyrics that, um, that's very specific to me. Um, and I developed that. It took a long time to uh, become the kind of writer that, uh, you know, that I feel like when I, when I start to say something, I, I'm, I'm having a conversation. I can tell you mm -hmm. that's, I wasn't at the piano. I feel like I could just, you know, tell you the, you know, just just look straight at you and, and and talk that way, and it would be very um very much my delivery of that story, but you know, in a musical context. And I and I wonder too. And again, you know, you, you you got into a little of this, and maybe link that to your your commitment as an artist in your own community and in and in society. What 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 is that role? Where do you see yourself and your storytelling? as contributing that's a, really, that's a good question um i feel like my role uh, as storyteller is is something that i think a lot of artists from maybe not as many now uh have have found that there you know there's this 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 kind of get people moving and dancing and keep them happy or keep them kind of um uh, almost like you know, if you can, there is escape of music, right? And um, and I think that has its place. Um, I don't think my music is an escape. I think that it's not in the same way. I think my music is a mirror, um, and I feel like the stories I tell um, are stories that uh, that can that hopefully not only relate emotionally and that, you know I I I tend to. To, to look at my work as as trying to be uh, trying to uh, it's a lot to say timeless because that's kind of almost giving yourself way too much of a pat on the back but I'm not specific to um, to the times I'm living in I'm specific to the emotions um, and the stories um, of of you know that come from me that come from the people surrounding me that come from whatever it is so I feel like that's partly I think that's the response. I, I don't know. I just feel like that's a responsibility that I wish more of our popular younger artists would take on, um, which is this, uh, you know, this idea that first of all, that as an artist you need to take risks. You need to um, be willing to um, tell a lot of different stories, and some of those may have to do with love, but some of them may have to do with much more specific things that have nothing to do with, you know. Who uh, who you love or who did you wrong, etc. Um, I so I think that for me, 
if any, you know, if anything kind of uh, sticks with people, it will be um, those kinds of those kinds of stories that people can hopefully they can take and they can listen to and they can and will help them the way they you know you asked about this earlier and I don't think I answered it but help you know help someone the way that it they they can help me at times you know there are definitely moments uh, where uh, where what I've written uh, says a lot a lot of the times it says a lot about where I'm going to be. And I didn't even know it when I wrote it. That that's wow. one of a beautiful one of the beautiful things that uh, writing can give you, at least for me, is that yeah. I that idea that I've kind of I've kind of laid out the answers for myself. Um, I just wasn't ready to hear them. Yeah, uh, or built a bridge to a shore that you haven't stepped on yet, and perhaps yeah. didn't even don't even know what 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 is out there, right? That's even better. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's true. It's it's uh, and that's. That's again. That, that's part of that whole circling idea of um, I can do that within a song. I, you know, I, I, I think I might have mentioned there's a song I wrote. Um, I've told this story um, before to uh, you know to younger writers or students. Um, there's a song for my album Drift called Tuesday and Thursday, and uh, basically it's um, so how do you fit all of your love on a Tuesday and Thursday? It's a song about being a single parent and trying you know a lot of very fast um, uh, lyric. Because it's it's told from the standpoint of a father who has a very limited amount of time with his daughter before he has to bring his daughter back uh, to her mother. So um, you know, pick her up on a Tuesday, and then there's a pick her up on a Thursday. Now, I wrote the first two verses of that song um, uh, pretty quickly. I got I got them I got them pretty quickly. I knew the, I had the chorus, I had the hook, I had everything, um, and then it just stopped. I didn't have I had no idea what I was supposed to do, um, and I tried. I I I I would type. I would step away from it for you know a day, a week, whatever it was, and then I would try to come back to the song, uh, and I never could figure out what it was that I what was the end game result for that song for me. What was I trying to say? Until nine months later. Wow. Nine months later, when I was uh, after um, a particular. Um, just a regular experience as a father with his young child, um, I think going to her school, I was able to look at the song and finish it. Um, but it took nine months for me to do that, not because it took nine months to write it, but it took me nine months to get to a place where I could finish it. And, um, uh, and that, you know, that that's part of what we do. We have these things and sometimes they're fast and sometimes they're slow and sometimes they're pieces of things that you put aside in your little mental or literal scrapbook and you come back to um, having that little voice memo thing on your phone is terrific for that because the memory is not what it used to be. So if I, <laughs> if I find something that I feel like, oh, I better remember that later. I, you know, I better pick up that phone and put it down. So I'm not ready to write any of them yet, but <laughs> but at least I'm at least I know that there's a process I can go through to get there. Creativity has the power to take our breath away, to move us to action or reaction, to invite us to feel more fully alive. And when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant, the experience has the power to do all of the above and put a smile on your face. 
Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together they have managed to make a local burger joint a must stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a Boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, Consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or Halibut and Chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q-Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, BC. Said a father to his son, life is hard, but love is beautiful. Be a rock, but be the flower. Choose the path you gotta choose, then follow through. And where you go, know that what you know is just a fraction of all you'll ever know. So be a man of strength in action, yet be strong enough to grow. Try to derive some satisfaction From the constant ebb and flow And never compromise Believe with all your heart what you believe But while you're achieving all you're destined to achieve Try to have some fun Said a father to his son Weaving across the story threads of Jeremy's musical tome is his own deeply vulnerable and powerful voice in the exploration of fatherhood. Having been moved by his music since it first landed in my ears over a decade ago, I continue to be drawn to his recurring theme of what it means to have a father and be a father, reflective of the joys and sorrows, dreams and regrets, times of absence and presence and above all, the wisdom gathered from both sides of the role. As a son, I know that my relationship with my own father was indelibly imprinted the day that he and my mother sat us down and shared that they would no longer be living together. A memory that many years later recognized a deep echo in Jeremy's song, State of the Heart, from his album Drift. Over the years, my relationship with my father has always been loving and supportive, and yet held back my geographic distance and the fullness of my own day-to-day -day living. And so to know that I will be spending this Father's Day with him, the first Father's Day I can remember doing so, perhaps even since childhood, is really special for me as a son. And as a father myself of three sons, 
remarkable boys, now men, my journey as a father, and even more recently a grandfather, continues to unfold with joy, surprise, and the learning about myself and what matters most. In the common role of parent, I was so appreciative for Jeremy's willingness to open up about his own journey as son and father. You mentioned earlier that not every song is a love song. And it got me, I mean, I, I sort of sat on that and thought about it for a moment, because you're right, not every song is a traditional love song, but you you write beautiful, reflective love songs. And I, I know that I'm going to go back in and pull up a few of those songs that would not be considered traditional love songs and visit them again, because it feels like there's love that you've just been sharing about the process that is it part a key part of that ingredient and and it, and it, it's just made me think about love songs a whole a whole lot differently but many of yours and we we've discussed this before many of them are centered on the core familial relationship of father and child um, whether identified explicitly in title such as uh, you know, father's regret the old man said a father to his son some of the songs, it's just built into the lyrical narrative. It's ever so clear that that seems to be what's there. This father theme has always resonated to me. So is that just because, as we've been talking, that you can't divorce yourself as artist from who you are in the world? What about, what, what, what is this all about, this, this return to the questions of being a dad and son in relationship to father, etc.? What's that for you? interesting um i think well i think that there's first of all i think that there's the i think there's the generational poles there's the family tree um uh, element of that and um the idea of things that uh that you are tied to the roots of your family the things that you feel very strongly about and then there's the branches that grow anew and grow into different directions and i think that um as part of that family I think the process of um, just the process of writing in, in, in general sort of makes is, is you know where it comes from the seeds that plant that are very very specific for me and and, and they resonate deeply within my music where I, you know my family history that's that's where this whole iron and coal thing but even emotionally speaking some of the the shadows that I've I've discussed in both in that project, but uh, in in other um, pieces before that, what I what I was drawn to um, are very close to where I come from as a as a you know survivor's child, um, mm. and the bond of father and son specifically, and 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 it's really it can be father and child. Um, uh, it, it's 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 fascinating how that works because you don't know what's always going to resonate. Um, what's going to draw you in? I think that for me, there was, you know, I, I know that um, going through uh, going through the divorce that I went through with my um, young daughter Alexandra, um, caught in the middle, and you know, we were civil about it, but it's still, it was a break. Um, that was something that was very, very difficult for me, and as a, you know, as a father, um, never felt. You know, I, 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 it just it never felt like the right thing, even though I know it was the right thing for for her, for for me, for you know where we were, my ex-wife and I. Um, 
but it affected me greatly. And it was a break that I dealt with. I even dealt with, uh, there's a song, A Good Man from um, Iron and Coal, which actually really kind of goes back to that specific uh, feeling of what, whether I, you know, questioning myself, whether I was indeed a good man, a good person, someone who had done right by my child and by my family. Um, so I think that there's, um, that deep reflection, that deep questioning um, was has always been a part of what I do and who I am. Um, and then coming from this line of, of uh, impressive fathers, really, uh, I would say that my father, uh, who was, as I mentioned, not only a survivor, um, was also very um, well uh, respected and uh, uh, scientist and and he, uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he also had to live up to his father, who uh, was a doctor and was the sole reason that my father survived the camps at all for an entire year. So when you kind of have that line of, uh, you know, in the family, um, it does shine quite a spotlight on the role of, of father. Um, and the role of a father, you know, I, I guess in some ways, you know, you mentioned the word community earlier. Um, I, I, I tend to kind of put myself into a position where I, where I guess I can be, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I am a father to my friends and to my, you know, but I, but, it, but I, I feel like in some ways, as I've gotten older, I've grown into a person who likes to gather community. Mm -hmm community building and i think that that's you know a, a strong arm of being a father um so um so i guess it all really has a way of tying together uh and and and, and it's funny because you know songs like for instance you mentioned the songs like uh, father's regret um which is tied to my story with my daughter but also is you know it takes off from there and becomes is, is a story that was actually based on um, uh, based on a film that I saw, and uh, and I kind of so I, I sort of melded elements of that. The other one, um, set a father to his son, um, was I made it very specific to me, but it also started out as something that was um, a friend of mine, Chad Rabinowitz, uh, had a theater company, and um, for their theater company, auctioned off my services to raise money. And someone asked if I would write a song that had um, some elements of Sandberg in the poem. Yeah. So I looked at the poem, and uh, you know, father and uh, father and son, and yeah. I, you know, and I grew it from there. So these things, I gravitated toward them, but they didn't all come from me sitting down and saying, "I need to write a song about a father and son today." You know, but uh, but it's but it's true. I guess you sort of you know you there's there's territory that. Um, that I tend to dive into more often. I feel like there's more to mine. Um, and, you know, and when I said, by the way, when I, I should say, when, when I said the, what I said before about love songs and, and, and love, I, I agree. I think, I think there's a tremendous amount of love that um, goes into um, a lot of my songs, there's, there's some of it is self-love, some of it is love for friends and for others, and some of it is trying to locate that 
that self-love when it feels like it's gone. I, I think that that is where the work is that an artist needs to dive into. And may, may I, uh, as I as I understand, your the daughter of your of your first marriage is is uh, is now an adult um, and a successful journalist herself, and uh, so a writer continues. Uh, and your current uh, family are are young, uh, young children. And, and so I, I guess I'm curious as we as we explore maybe not the writing component but just the living component. What what joys and and challenges have you are you living in right now as it relates to those three beautiful souls that you've helped to create and bring into the world? And what are you learning from your children? You know, when it comes to my oldest, um, who is 26 and is a journalist and has, you know, living her best life uh, uh, in New York City, and um, I'm incredibly proud of her and the woman that she is, and uh, not just as a professional, but she's a, just a she's a, a, a brilliant and steady. She's incredibly steady. She's always been mm-hmm. that calm in the storm for her friends. Um, I don't know where she gets it from, but um, I, I've always admired that about her. Uh, among many other things uh i've learned uh i've learned from my kids that uh, that it's okay to to just be dad and it's and it's important that i find a way to separate the two people that exist within me one being hmm. artist who you know i always for for so many years i i i i I tied completely together both. Um, that is, I know I, you can't separate the artist from the person. And um, while certainly that's true to a certain extent, you know, um, it doesn't define how I parent. It doesn't define um, my expectations for my kids. Um, and uh, it doesn't define how I am as a husband. You know, I need to be present for them and put that you know the thing i always say about kids um is that until you you know if you're fortunate enough to have children you understand that really really understand what it's like to put someone else's life ahead of yours um until that point uh even in marriage to a certain degree that's a shared thing and you can sort of each kind of go your own ways but with kids they don't care they don't care, you know, whether you've made a million dollars or a hundred dollars, whether you've had hits, whether you work with that person or this person. It's listen to me now so that I can tell you about my day, about my life, about what's important to me. So it is humbling um, and it is um, an incredibly important to give in to that um, as a parent and become that kind of uh, that person and that becomes a role model the more the more you're there the more you listen the more you uh, you know appreciate uh and the more i do that the better i feel like it makes me as an artist because um i uh you know i find i i i, I find um more peace and um and the more the more peace that i have uh, the more clarity i have there the the more open it makes me to uh, to to be creative, um, that's a that's not always an easy thing. You know, nope. a, uh, a lot of artists will tell you that COVID um, was a very hard time for an artist to 
Um, you know, some people just work, 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 work. A lot of people, you, you know, you sort of, um, once you start asking those questions about, you know, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And what's, what am I supposed to do from here? Those are, those are hard questions to put on yourself, hard pressures, uh, hard, you know, burdens to bear. Being a parent can free you from all of those things because it's sometimes, you know, it's okay to just be there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. They just want you to be around for them. So, so it feels like we're talking legacy again. We think of legacy as that which which we will be remembered for, but 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 it isn't created in the, the thereafter. It's we're creating it right now. I'm hearing you say that the investment you're making in in your in your being dad and in what the children, whether they're 26 or whether they're six, what they get an opportunity to be in relationship with you as dad. Um, that's 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 what's here and here and now. And you know, I, I I just that message came through to me so powerfully, and I shared it with you. I just had a chance to listen to. I I can see my house from here, and it for me it was that 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 sense of of legacy and remembering what matters most is what's happening right now. So as as you know, we're going to play this on Father's Day. If there was one message amongst all of the messages you've already shared, but if there was one message that you really wanted your kids to hear from dad on Father's Day, what, what would that message be? Um, I would want them to know that it is more than okay to be who you are and to um, and to and to give yourself all of the love that you possibly can, even in moments of self-doubt and moments of um, where you falter and you feel like you have failed. Know that um, know that first of all that you have it. Mm-hmm. It's just life, and that's part of being human. Um, and that you also have you also have me, my kids. I'm always there. Um, your mom is always there, and that we are um, um, that we love our children um, unconditionally, and we support whoever they want to be, um, and wherever that journey takes them. You know, uh, I'm. I think the, the most important thing. And I try to say this to my kids all the time: uh, is that I am proud of them. I'm proud to be your father, and I'm proud of who you are. I think the more that you can tell your kids that you are proud of them, um, that's that that just that's that's the most important thing that you can instill in your kid that you are proud of them. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy, if your children's children's children were to someday write a song about their great-grandpa Schoenfeld, what images, what cadences, what what would you hope you might hear in the lyrics and music? That is a very interesting question. Um, I hope that they will, that they'll feel like they know me through my work, through my music, that they'll really get it. They'll, they'll understand the voice of who I, who I was and what I was trying to say, and that they will use my work 
um, as an, as inspiration to say, hey, it's okay to it's okay to write what I need to write and to say what I need to say. The stories themselves are great, but if I can just inspire um, my family, other writers, to to just to not be afraid to put it down and and say what it is um, that you need to say, and at the same time, don't be afraid to uh, to to call yourself out and. <laughs> Um, and know that, you know, look, if you wrote that great line on that song um, and it doesn't work now, you're going to find another line. Mm -hmm. Great or even greater. You will always have, you know, you'll always have those tools uh, in your tool belt to be able to use. And, you know, you can use that great, terrific, ama amazing personal line in another tune. Yeah, keep it, tuck it into the 38th notebook, right? Tuck it into the 38th notebook. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I, that's what I, that's what I hope. I hope that they will, they will also uh, reach just beyond their sleeve and try to work on things that, um, that continue to grow them as artists. Just beyond their sleeve. I love that. Thank you ever so much. Uh, happy Father's Day. And, uh, and it's been it's just been a delight to uh, to spend this time with you and, and same thank you so much for having me i appreciate it from jeremy's latest ep the father that stayed here is the final stanza of i can see my house from here a sudden wind blows through the trees the smell of springtime fills the air and once again, I'm there Another morning Just like every other morning Pack the lunches, dress the children Feed them breakfast out the door The more I worry for their future The more I'm drawn back to these glimpses of the past Scenes from a lifetime, hidden moments Now it's your job to make this last Whether I'm far away or near Don't let life slip away If it's a week, a month, a day Don't let this disappear As long as you can see our house from here. This brings our season two of Ellipses Thinking to a close. I hope that you have enjoyed sitting in on these conversations. I am full of gratitude to the 13 remarkable individuals who took up the invitation to sit with me and share so authentically their stories of creativity, the inspirations, the challenges, the breakthroughs, and even some of the breakdowns, all of which we know exist when we are willing to risk our not knowing 
to follow our curiosity into the places of new knowing, to step across the spaces that exist between the three tiny dots of the ellipses. As I prepare season three for the fall, I wish to extend my thanks to my son, Jordan, for continuing to be cheerleader and producer and encouraging my own creative expression. To my wife, my ellipses partner, Tammy, nothing would happen in my life without your ability to see beyond what's immediately visible, trust what you know is possible, and celebrate the journey as much as the arrival. And to you as listeners, it is my hope that you will feel every bit a part of this community of creative people and that this podcast serves for you as it was so well defined by one of my previous guests, Stacy Sabai, as an affinity space. May I invite you to extend an invitation to your communities to visit and support this show by following or subscribing. I look forward to reconvening in the fall and wish you all a wonderful summer. Ellipses Thinking is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It is produced by Jordan Dollar-Coltman and Greg Dollar-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.